So um, I want to tell you a, a story. Um, when my first, uh, first of all, how much fun is this for me? That's my, that was my daughter playing violin right next to me. Uh, who, uh, she's actually done this for a few years, but it's always, you know, I don't play music here a whole lot anymore. So the fact that she's able to do that um, was a real blessing. When she was born, um, nobody in our community believed that she cried, right? She was one of these gifts to first, chill, to first like new parents in that she was a really laid back baby. I mean, she just was chill just all the time. And, um, and we knew otherwise. I mean, we knew she was a normal baby and she got upset. But, but our community was like, we're like, we just think Emily's like an angel. She's just perfect. She just never cries. And, uh, and, and so we just kind of, what, what can we do about that? We enjoyed it. Well, um, I think it was actually Christmas Eve. Um, and I, I want to say this was either her first or second Christmas. I want to say it was her second. And man, it was just one of those disastrous evenings that you have as a parent where you just can't help it, but just all the dominoes fall badly. And this is what Christmas Eve looked for toddler Emily. This is what it looked like. <laughs> and I was so blown away by this. I'm like, we have to get a picture of this to prove to our community that this child actually cries and gets upset. And so that was our picture. And um, you know, as much as uh, us adults like to think that like Christmas is a season of like all joy and peace and love, like how many of your kids, this is kind of like Christmas, right? Everybody have like too much Christmas? And it's just like too much Christmas, time to like shut it down. Like as much as we want uh, joy and peace and love and contentment and all these things to be a part of our Christmas time, a lot of us, I think, especially our kids, it looks a little bit more like this. And what I want to talk about tonight, just in, for a few minutes, is, is joy. And what I want to suggest to you guys tonight, and what I want to kind of uh, unpack for you, is that I think that, I think that God is the most joyful being uh, that exists. I think God is pure joy, and I think he is joyful. And I think that, that sometimes flies in the face of a lot of what we think about, you know, God, whatever that evokes for you. Some of us may have grew up in faith traditions where if you say the word God, you know, you, you get the, the image of a stern father or maybe you've heard, oh, God is an angry God and, and, and all of these things. But I actually think if you really think about it, and especially in light of the Christmas story, that I think actually God is the most joyful creature and I think he loves joy. And I think he invites us to lives of joy. And what I want to uh, kind of unpack and, and challenge you guys a little bit of, is like, how do you find it? How do you get it? Uh, let me tell you where we've been as a community. If you're visiting here tonight, first of all, we're glad you spent some, some time, some valuable time with us. Where we've been as a community for the past four weeks is we've been trying to look at some words of Jesus and, and take them seriously in the world and try to see, like, ask some questions like, how can we be peacemakers and how can we be, like, bring some peace and what we call shalom to the world around us? How can we take Jesus' mission and bring it out to Tallahassee and to some of the surrounding communities? Another way we put that is, like, how can we announce that God's kingdom is here? And we've been doing service projects and and writing letters to, to, uh, to guys who are incarcerated down in Wakulla Correctional Institute. 
And uh, we've been doing that for four weeks. And now we're here tonight. And we've been looking at this text that Jesus uh, speaks in Luke 4. This is the sort of the public start of his ministry. If you guys have been with us for a while, these are words are really familiar with you by now, to, me, to you by now. Uh, Luke 4, 16, Jesus goes up to Nazareth where we have, he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, his church, it was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for, to the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and then the text says he rolled the scroll up, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he started by saying, which is like the shortest sermon ever. He says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen, go out to Cracker Barrel, whatever it was. <laughs> that's, what he, that's the text that we've been living out of. And what I wanted to, to unpack tonight is the last little bit of that, of that statement. When he says, I'm declaring that this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And I want to just talk about like what that means because Jesus says something and then he says, look, right now that is fulfilled. And, and what I want to do is kind of let you know that that, that comes out of the Old Testament, the, the first kind of part of the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures. It comes out of something called the year of Jubilee. Anybody ever heard of the year of Jubilee? All right, so uh, that in turn comes out of uh, Leviticus 25, and I'm going to read what Leviticus 25 says about this thing called the year of Jubilee. Uh, God is giving instructions to his people, and he says, look, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years. I would be super in trouble because I'm so math challenged. I'd be like, wait, God, wait, set, carry the one, set, right Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout the land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your own family property and to, and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap, so don't like plant food, just rest. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines, for it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. All right, so uh, let me just kind of... Uh, give you a little bit of insight as to what, what this uh, is and kind of what's going on in the scriptures. Jubilee actually comes from uh, an ancient word for like horn, uh, like a ram's horn. Anybody happen to have a ram's horn on them tonight? Oh, oh that's okay because I have one. I totally have one. Oh, thank you. That's so convenient. I'm so glad I brought that. So this is E3, guys. You just never know. Um, so most of the time in scripture, this is called a shofar, okay? But there's another ancient word called the jubal, all right? And so God says, at the 50th year, you sound, are you guys ready? The sound the horn. So here you go, 50th year. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> 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 
That's as good as it's getting. That'd be a kind of a lousy jubilee. But it literally, literally takes its name from the sounding of the horn, right? And at that point in the 50th year, so 49 years, you're supposed to kind of do what, do your business and, 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 and take care of things. And then all of a sudden in the 50th year, everything changes. So God says he gives more instructions there. And he says, look, if you have like bought any property from, from anybody else in the, in the nation of Israel, you have to give it back. Because the land was tied to your identity. So if any, any property changes hands, at the 50th year, it goes back to the original owner. Even if they had to sell it like out of crisis. If they were just like, man, I'm buried under debt. We have to sell the family farm. 50th year, it comes back, okay? If you were uh, enslaved, 50th year, you free the slaves, everybody, okay? If you've gone into debt, 49 years, the 50th year, you've got debt, the debt's forgiven. Yeah, amen there, right? There's rest. You give the land rest. And I can't, I can't tell, I don't know if you can wrap your heads around what that looks like, but it is a grand like reset. It is just a, a wiping the slate clean. And that's what God does. That's what he proclaims for the year of Jubilee. And when Jesus kind of says, look, it's the year of God's favor, he's connecting to that year of Jubilee. He's like, it is a time of reset. I don't know if you guys remember like reset. This is my first experience with reset, you know, the early years of like the kind of the 80s and 90s. Anybody remember this? Oh my gosh. My blood pressure is just like the blue screen of death. And how'd you get out of it? Control, alt, delete. That's your reset. You know, and, and I read a little bit about this and this was written into IBM computers and it was designed that like, look, after a computer runs for a while, the, the memory gets gummed up and they wrote this in and it was control, alt, delete, by the way, so you couldn't touch them all the keys with one, with one hand, right? So they're like, well, we don't want people to really jack up their computer, so let's make sure that control and alt are on one side and delete's on the other side. But it was when the computer just got so gummed up and then all of a sudden you're like, you need to reset the computer. And God recognizes that. What I love about it is if you read the, the, Levitic, the Leviticus laws, God actually anticipates a little bit of human nature because he says, oh, by the way, um, if you're in business, say you like to loan money to people and you know the Jubilee year's coming up, you can't raise your interest rates. Because God's like, oh, I bet people know the Jubilee's coming up, so let's jack the prices up so that I can make sure I can get everything before the 50th year. God says, don't do that. You just conduct your business. But then there's a reset. So my first question is, man, does that sound like, does that sound like good news to anybody? How many of you guys would take God up on a reset? Maybe not just financially, maybe not just, but whatever. There's something in your life that you're just like, man, I am ready for something to start over. I know I've been there. And before we go any further, what I wanted to do is, is let you guys hear from a couple people in the community that just are normal everyday folks that have experienced a reset in their life recently. And so I want to invite um, uh, uh, Karen and, and Tyler. You guys welcome them to the, to the stage. And um, 
They're special, but they're not that special. <laughs> and they're just going to share, like, what God has done in a reset frame uh, of reference them. So go ahead and read that, guys. My name is Karen, and the title of mine is A Gift from God. My reset story involves my relationship with my mother. As, a sort, as some of you know, my mother moved here four years ago to go to Westminster Oaks Retirement Community so that I could take care of her. She was 90 years old at the time. Now, you would think I would have been happy about this, but actually I was apprehensive. As her only child, I knew it was my responsibility and I had promised my father five years earlier that I would take care of her. I was apprehensive because my mother and I did not have a normal daughter-mother relationship. You see, my mother was an alcoholic when I was growing up, and she was dealing with her own demons from her difficult childhood. My mother did stop drinking in the 1970s. The lack of a healthy relationship with my mother did affect me, and as I grew into a young woman, it affected my life choices. I, did, I really did not get to know my mother as a person until she moved here in 2013. At first, it was rough. She did not appreciate me, and I struggled with her being dependent upon me. But as time went on, God reset our relationship, and something beautiful began to grow, which was very healing for both of us. I can honestly say that my mother became so precious to me, and I let her know that. We developed a fun and loving relationship. I found out more about her life and began to understand her better. I came to realize my mother was a strong woman and I could respect her. I was with her when she passed away, two weeks shy of 94 years old. Yeah. I miss her greatly, but I thank God for the opportunity to reset my relationship with my mother. Amen. I'm Tyler, for those that don't know, and uh, mine doesn't have a title. <clears throat> My reset story comes from late 2016. Last year in October, I got sick, and I wasn't taking the medicine doctors prescribed me. Instead, I was doing drugs and getting, most, uh, getting drunk most nights of the week. Eventually, I ended up in the hospital with some very vital internal organs shutting down. At the time, the doctors weren't able to figure out what was wrong, and it was a pretty scary situation. Maybe a year prior to this happening, I was hurt by a pastor from a church I attended. Me being 19 at the time, I didn't know what to do. So I turned my back to God and went down a dark path of drug and alcohol abuse. So there I was, 20 years, 20 years old, lifeless in a hospital bed, not being able to eat or drink, wondering why me. That's when it hit me. This wasn't just my second chance, but my third chance. A week later, once released out of the hospital, I knew God was telling me it was time for a reset. I searched and searched, and 12 months ago, Last December, God led me to E3. This last year, I have done lots of work through meditation, recovery, and most importantly, my growth group. I believe that over and over, God has never failed me. At this, and this time, my spiritual reset feels permanent. It's powerful, and I desperately needed it. Thanks, guys. So... I think God is in the reset business, right? I think that that's, we, we all have these stories. For most of us who are in this community, we can all say, we can point to something in our life that goes, man, there was, there was at some point I experienced a sort of jubilee in my life where God just kind of allowed a start over, a clean slate, right? 
And, and the question, again, that I want to ask you guys is, like, where in your life do you need a reset? Where in your life do you need a reset? Is it in a relationship? Is it, is it something? Is it a substance? Is it, is it an activity that you're just like, you know what? I've got to let go. This is the business that God is in. This is the God that I know. He's the God of resets. He's a jubilee God. That's why I follow him. I needed that reset, and I got it. And usually I actually need many resets. There, there are many ways that God resets me, but what I want to kind of explore is where in your life, I'd love you to think about just like, where do I need a do-over, a start-over in my life? And then I want to tell you how you can take a step towards that tonight. But it's not what you think. It's not what you think. So um, I've been reading a book last couple weeks that have been really provoking me about um, how to grow spiritually, and in, and in particularly dealing with this concept of joy. And, and two concepts or two ideas stood out to me. There's a, a South African concept called Ubuntu. It is simply translated the idea that I cannot be me without you. It is the idea that, that we are not little individual atoms, that we exist in relationship all the time. And to the degree that I act like too much like an individualistic person, to the degree that I focus too much attention on myself, I actually diminish my life. That I do not reach my full potential without community, without other people, without being aware of them. You even hear that in Karen's story. You heard it in Tyler's. He talks about his growth group. You see, that's something we fall into. But the truth of the matter is I can't be me without my friends and my family and the people in this community. So Ubuntu, we need other people. We don't exist alone. The second um, is related to uh, actually neuroscience. There's a guy named Richard Davidson. And, and Davidson actually studies how to essentially live a good life from a neurological point of view. And he identifies that there are four circuits, what he calls, to the brain that contribute to well-being. The first is simply this, a certain amount of resilience is necessary. You know what? Life happens. And we get knocked down and we get up again. And every time we do that, we get a little bit stronger. And that actually contributes to our, our well-being in the world. And then related to that, he would say, there's another circuit of the brain that is related to outlook. Can you have a positive outlook on life? That you know what? I can become a better person. I can improve. I can learn. I can grow. I'm capable of God changing me. Then he says also contributing to a well-being, to the well-being of, of life is your attention. And this is kind of a little commercial. We're going to do a series of the first of the year that talks about how to kind of like live your life well. And one of the things that he says is like, look, a distracted life is not a well-lived life. And we live in the era of distractions. So he says a focused life where you give your attention to one thing or one person at a time is important. 
But he says there's like one thing that trumps it all. And that's generosity. And he says, and the neurology bears it out, that almost more than anything else, the key to joy is generosity. When we turn from ourselves to people in pain or in need and say, how can I help? What can I give? How can I respond to this need? He says, actually, that is the thing that makes your life joyful. It's what makes your life thrive. That's not what I learn in, in culture most of the time. I learned that what makes my life worth living and what makes my life thrive is how much do I get. This is radically countercultural. But it's also why God is the most joyful being in the, in the universe. Because the essence of God, I believe, is that he turns towards people in need and in pain and gives infinitely to them. And God knows joy deeply. And he sends his son Jesus to pronounce, it's the year of the Lord's favor. It is the jubilee. And then he calls his people to do the same thing. To say, how can we get outside of our little bubble and recognize that we're all interconnected and my well-being is tied to your well-being. And so furthermore, if I can be generous to you, if I can just say, how can I help people? Actually, I might experience a little joy in my life. He gives without limit invite, and invites his children into this same joy. It's not about what you get, it's what you give. So again, the question is, do you need a reset? Do you need a reset? Where in your life do you need a reset? Because here's the deal. I think we could experience a reset right now. Right now. And in fact, this was what God put on my heart when I started thinking about this series was this moment. And for those of you guys who are part of this community, you know that for a few weeks I've been saying, we're gonna do something we've never done before. And here it is. Um, I'd like to see us practice generosity right now in this moment. I'd like to see us live out the year of Jubilee right now in this moment. And so here is the way um, it, it's going to work and here are the questions. Um, a lot of us here have had really good years. God's been faithful. The bills are paid. The storehouse is full. I'm going to ask you what it would look like in the next couple minutes to be generous. To experience joy by giving. Now, I also know that there's folks here who you say, you well, wait a minute. I haven't had a good year. My storehouse is empty. In fact, 
uh, I'm one of those people that you read about in Leviticus 25. I, need, I got debts. They need to be forgiven. I, I have a need. Well, guess what? We're talking to you too. Uh, on, on the seats around here are envelopes and cards. And they're simple. They just have check boxes. Do you have a need tonight? We want to know about it. We want to know about it. Can you be generous tonight? We want to know about it. And we have these white buckets up here, and we've asked some people to just help out with this. So if, if, if you're going to help, just come and get the, these buckets. And uh, they're going to go around the room. And um, the idea is that you've got an envelope by you. If you have a need, we want to hear about it. If you can be generous, if you have a checkbook right now or, or some cash or some coins, we're inviting you to just come up and drop them in the bucket. There's some instructions on there. And here's the point I want to make. You see, if the key to joy is generosity, a reset, it's the same, it's the same coin. If you need a reset, give. If you can be generous, give, because it'll increase your joy and your well-being in the world. And if you have a need, we want to try and fill it. We have a fund here called Acts 2. It's really designed to, um, to kind of provide for the four walls around people in our community, the owners. Um, this is going to be extended a little bit beyond that. And you need to know, and listen, owners, none of this goes to our operating budget. And if you're an owner, you know why that's significant. Because we're not doing, our pockets aren't so deep at E3 right now. But this is not about us. This is about living out the kingdom of God. So I'm going to pray. And the band is going to play. And as they play, you're invited to stand up and just pray and, and, and come and, and drop your needs, your, gener your, your, your commitments in the bucket. And, um, and we're just going to see what God does. So, by the way, if you're a guest here tonight, I know this might be a lot to process. But we're a community of faith. We're trying to live out the words of Jesus. So this is kind of weird for you. Sorry, not sorry. This is just what we're trying to do. And we're glad you're here. We're not, no pressure on you. Let's pray.